The science behind it, though, is we have in our brain things called mirror neurons, and it's exactly what you think it is. They are brain cells that imitate the people around you, and that's why they say we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We start mirroring their words, actions, thoughts, character, and habit. Hello, and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, wellness expert, and transformation coach. And I am here each week to give you actionable tips to help you overcome the challenges that you might be facing in order to find peace, joy, and freedom in your life. So this podcast is your one-stop shop to help you live your happiest, healthiest, and most vibrant life. Whether we're talking about how to move through trauma, have better sex and better relationships, and impactful ways to deal with stress and burnout, I got you covered. And yes, those are all past episodes. So if any of those sound good to you, scroll on back through the archives. And if you are new to the show and enjoy it, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me what you enjoyed about the episode as it helps others to find out about the show. And it really helps me to continue going, bringing on these incredible experts by knowing who and what you love about it. So today I have one of the most incredible interviews with none other than Jim Quick. So Jim is an internationally acclaimed authority in the realm of brain optimization, memory improvement, and accelerated learning. And with over 30 years of experience, he has dedicated, and I can vouch for this, I've known him a very long time, he has dedicated his life to helping people tap into their brain's full potential. From overcoming learning challenges after a childhood injury, Jim embarked on a journey with a mission to leave no brain behind, which I can say that he is absolutely achieving. And If you don't follow Jim or know about him, which I'm sure you do because his community is just amazing and it's worldwide, he has worked with millions of people across the globe, helping CEOs, professional athletes, and Hollywood celebrities. He works with companies such as Google, Virgin, Nike, SpaceX, 20th Century Fox. I mean, the list goes on and on. And all of these companies have embraced and adopted his teachings. And he has also had collaborations with entities such as the U.S. Air Force and the Cleveland Clinic to further highlight the extensive scope of his influence. So he is the author of Limitless, Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional Life. And his newest book, which comes out on Tuesday, November 14th, Limitless Expanded Edition, Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional. So I've read the book. It is mind-blowing, truly. This interview is mind-blowing. And Jim is not only a dear friend. I've known him for over 10 years. He is one of the most profound experts when it comes to your brain. So this interview, I want you to listen to, take notes. You are going to be literally mind-blown. Without further ado, here is Jim Quick on A Sharper Life. Jim, it is such a pleasure to have you on A Sharper Life. Welcome. But I wanted to jump straight in and ask, what is something you wish people knew about their brains that they don't? Something I wish people knew about their brains that they don't. So 
my whole thing is I want people to know their brains and to trust their brains, to love their brains and mostly to use their brains. I mean, goodness, like back in high school, when we learned about the brains, I feel like we're a little detached and I always wear a brain on my shirt. I always point to my head, you know, my brain, because I think what you see, you take care of and you see your hair, you see your clothes, your car, because it's your constant awareness, but you don't see the thing that takes care of us. So I would say, look, your brain is made up of 86 billion neurons. Each of those neurons have upwards of 10,000 synaptic connections. When you think about the amount of connections, that's more stars in the universe. And it, it is really powerful beyond measure. We're learning so much about the human brain, more in the past 10 years than the previous thousand years combined. And I think what I want people to know is we're grossly underestimating our brains, regardless of your age or stage in life, your background, your career, education level, financial situation, gender, history, IQ, it could do magnificent things. And I, we've known each other a long time. Uh, I, I just want to say like how awesome you are because we've really friends. A lot of people say like, Hey, this is my dear friend. And you know, it's kind of like, but you know, we really have a lot of history together. So it's just so wonderful to watch your career over the past 10 years. And, uh, and I love your last name because <laughs> it's just, so, it's just so fitting that my last name really is, you know, this and yeah. I, I was going to say it's, I, I, I adore you as well. And I, I, I really do. I, I value our friendship and, and you are also just such an inspiration for me to have watched your career and everything you do and, and, and truly the amount of people that you're, you're helping and touching and lives you're improving. But it is interesting. You know, my last name is Sharp and yeah. people so often say that I'm like quite sharp, like, you know, yeah. I'm smart and sharp. And, and then with you, the last name is, right. is quick and you teach people to, to speed read, which is, it's, that's an interesting thing thing um we could collaborate you know, and do are, something like sharp and sharp and quick maybe we'll we should come up with a a course and <laughs> sharp and quick so i, I actually want to go on something you were just talking about uh, neurons in our brain and you know as you're talking about science so research there's so much research out there about the subconscious mind how it works neuroplasticity and that the neuroplasticity basically enhances the beliefs that we have. And something that I find interesting is that a belief is nothing more than a thought that you think over and over. And, and then it becomes that belief, i.e. the neural pathway of your brain uh, that becomes your reality and it shapes who you are. And so my question on that is how do we first understand what our beliefs are? And then how do we change our beliefs about how we learn? Yeah. So beliefs, I believe that it's funny. It's very meta. I believe that all behavior is belief driven that in order to, I'm sure your listeners want to create some kind of new results in their life. Then they have to do a new behavior in order to add new behavior. They need to have a belief that says that behavior is even, even possible. Right. If you think you can or think you can, either way, you're right. We hear all these kind of quotes from from Henry Ford and others. Um, what I would, I would say is that we have about 60,000 thoughts a day, right? Um, a lot of those thoughts come in the form of beliefs, like there are these beliefs about money and time and relationships and love and about ourselves also as well. And it's it's funny because we aren't born with any of these beliefs, these are things that we adapt and adopt through our environment, through our, uh, our childhood, through our external world, and it gets imprinted on us. 
much like mine, right? I had my brain injury when I was five. I had learning difficulties, sensory issues. I had migraines like all the time as a kid. I, um, I was labeled broken by one of my teachers. And so that it was like, wow, that label became my limit. And so that became my primary driving belief every single time I failed, which was all the time and wasn't picked for sports all the time. I would say, oh, cause I have the broken brain. So yeah, we, adults have to be very careful of their external words cause they often become a child's internal words, but we also have to be careful of the words that we have constantly. And I think self-awareness is a great starting point, meaning it's hard to change something that you don't even realize that, it, you know, it's there. And so doing an audit of our current belief system, I know you've done a lot of work with Tony and, and others that are really masters of with belief change. So the problem is a lot of these beliefs are what I call lies, L-I-E, a limited idea entertained. It's not true that you're not smart enough or that you can't focus or that you know, that you're stuck in a certain position in life. Uh, but if we believe it, then we're going to be trapped in that box. So limitless is not about being perfect. It's about advancing and progressing. And who doesn't want to progress in life? But if we feel stuck, part of what keeps us stuck is our mindset. And so I'll start there. Your mindset for me functionally is the set of assumptions and attitudes you have. What, what are attitudes, assumptions about a relationship? What are attitudes, assumptions about money? What are attitudes, assumptions about learning and our own, you know, self-worth? And so um, a lot of people get to their core beliefs because uh, where, where it reveals itself a lot often is when we get external obstacles, right? Something is challenging us. And if we're bumping up on something that's, uh, that's a challenge, usually it's because it's not the problem. It's our beliefs about the problem. Like, uh, you know, someone can learn a great method on how to make money, but if their belief, core belief is I have to hurt people or take advantage of them in order to make money, then we're always going to self-sabotage, right? We're going to take a step forward and two steps back. So I think we, that's why we go to therapy, um, to go through and, and uncover some of that. Some people use plant medicine. Some people use journaling or meditation to kind of kind of fine tune those beliefs. I think also what I think is beliefs is often like when we talk about BS belief systems, I think it's um, one of those things where being conscious of our self-talk because realizing that our thoughts don't have to be, are necessarily real and we don't have to, that's why you meditate, right? It's not that you quiet your thoughts, because your mind has thoughts just like your heart beats. That's the job of the mind is to have thoughts. But realizing that we don't have to be our thoughts, right? And you just kind of recognize them and disassociate. Kind of like when I meditate, I see like clouds coming through and I just see these thoughts and I just can kind of let them pass. And there's so many ways of changing beliefs. You're familiar with it, whether it's NLP or self-hypnosis. Um, I'm a big fan of EFT tapping on meridian points. Uh, and that allows, allows you to kind of reduce the stress and angst we have. It's very soothing. Like when you touch your collarbone or you touch the, uh, the karate point of your, your hand or certain like above the eyebrow or side, it's a technique called tapping and it allows you to kind of go in and talk about your beliefs, what you're feeling at the moment, and also kind of uh, reframe or, or adjust and adapt those, those beliefs. I, I 
I mean, I, I love, I was going to say, I love everything that you're, you're sharing there because it, given my life, like, and you've known, we've known each other for over 10 years and you knew me when I was in my eating disorders, I, you know, starting my career, writing the books. And it's interesting when I look back on that girl, that version of me 10 years ago, I, I see her, but I don't really, I like, I don't relate to her at all. And I, I, I'm thankful for her because she helped get me to where I am. But as we're talking about beliefs, there were so many beliefs that I had about myself. And it's interesting what you say that we like, we have to get to understand, like almost face our fears, face our beliefs or the BS or the system, you know, the belief system. But I, I I'm kind of curious on this. So, you know, I've done so much inner work, self-work, self-development, whatever it is you want to call this. I've transformed. I get to teach this on such a bigger yeah. level, but <laughs> I still have never really believed that I'm naturally good at finances. And in fact, like I'd actually say that it's my, my weakest subject. And I feel like I, like I, I just don't get it. And it frustrates me because I feel like, you know, with everything else, it, it's, it's about learning, but there are clearly some beliefs that I have that I'm bad at it. And I know that everyone listening will relate in some form or another because we tell ourselves I'm bad at people's names or I'm not good at taking tests. I'm not smart like yeah. others. How do you help people overcome the like I forget people's names? I think we're all guilty of that. Right. literally like what's the secret to remembering someone's name? So remembering names is is a skill. And it's kind of like if you go to somebody and say, hey, focus or remember this or study this. It's like going to somebody saying, play the didgeridoo or play the ukulele, <laughs> who's never had any training in that. So the first part, I believe, talk about a useful belief. So for me, beliefs are things, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just, is it useful? Like I have a belief that everybody has genius inside of them. Now, is it true empirically? I, who knows, right? But I operate, it forces me to operate as if, they are geniuses and I'm more certain about their potential and their ability to express it than maybe they are at the time. But I think that's what makes us coaches, right? We hold a, a certain standard or vision for them that they might not have for themselves yet, right? And even that word yet is very powerful. You find yourself saying, I'm not great at remembering names and you audit it and say, just add, edit it. Like, hold on, pause. I'm not great at remembering names yet. Right. And then just opens up the possibility. I think we have to take accountability for an agency over our thoughts, our feelings, our, um, our actions in life. And it's not because I don't, I mean, we could come up with a script. You and I had, had different, uh, past experiences and everybody could, I always tell people, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. Right. And so if we constantly reinforce our past and, and all of it could be true that, you know, the, this family situation created this, or this, my injury created this. And, and it can absolutely be valid. And yet doesn't mean it doesn't, nothing changes because of it. And that, that's a, that's a challenge. And so I think extreme ownership is so very important, uh, because being responsible for me means that we have the power to make like the whole thing where, you know, people say, or Stanley, right? I, I love comic books. And it's one of those things where, 
you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And the opposite is true when you, when you, with great responsibility comes great power. So I, I think it starts with self-awareness. I think it starts with agency, uh, meaning that we should be responsible for how we feel and that we are not at the effect. My dogs are a little bit barking in the, in the background, <laughs> um, but we're not at the effect. And I, I, for me, one of the things that helps me with my beliefs is I take on useful analogies or metaphors I feel like your listeners by large identify more with a thermostat than a thermometer where a thermometer, it just reacts to everything. It reacts to the environment and that's all. And it's just, which is not a really fun place to be because you have, um, because you're always just kind of moving based on, you know, external forces and, but a thermostat doesn't do that. I mean, sometimes as human beings, we react how people treat us, of course, and what's going on in politics or economics or the weather. But it's one of those things where if we realize we're a thermostat, because the thermostat doesn't react, it, it gauges, it knows what's going on in the environment, but it sets a temperature and we set an internal thermostat and then we, and then the environment reacts to us. And I think that's really what creators do, what leaders do. They take the invisible and they make it visible. And I'm even in my conversation with you at a meta level, I'm sharing with you my beliefs right? About that we have agency, that we always have some kind of power. We always can make a choice, uh, direct our mindset, our motivation, the methods. We, I always think we, the three things we can control is our head, our heart, and our hands, right? You can, your head, your internal conversations, your beliefs, your thoughts, your heart, your emotions, and some emotions you're meant to feel, right? For me, emotions are like a signpost, if you feel fearful because you have to give a talk or a toast at a wedding, you know, maybe that fear is meant to prepare you, right? So you do, so you do the work, for instance. And I also think we always have control of our hands, meaning the actions that we're going to take. But everybody always goes right to the hands and they have their to-do list. These are things I need to do. I need to read today. I need to make those sales calls. I need to make a social media post. But if people back up a little bit, when they're faced with a decision dilemma, instead of saying, what do I need to do? I think it could be very liberating to ask yourself a, a more empowering question, like who do I need to be at this moment? And every day we get to kind of shape, uh, you know, with sharp intensity, who we want to, how we want to show up. So if I choose, let's say I'm having a spirited debate with a friend and, you know, I'm thinking, what do I need to do to da, 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 to be right? But then I could always pull back and say, who do I want to be? Well, I want to be very compassionate because I love this person. And then the doing kind of takes care of itself. I think the syntax of success is you be, do, have, and then share like you, like you are, right? You, you be a certain person. So you naturally do certain things. So you get to have certain things in the world and then you have more to be able to contribute from that, from that. But uh, some people want to jump to like the have, I want to have a hundred thousand followers. I want to have a thriving business. I want to have a big bank account. I want to have the perfect body, right? Or, and that's a lottery mentality, right? People win the lotto, they get to jump fast forward to the have part, but they were never, they lose it, right? And because they were never being a millionaire and doing the things financially to, to maintain that wealth. So I, I feel like sometimes we're, I think the nature of our work, you and I, and others that are listening right now is about transcending, ending the trance. You know, we are programmed not only through marketing and media that usually says that we're, you know, broken in some way that we need to be fixed. But I also feel like we hypnotize ourselves with these I am statements. You know, I, I'm just not that smart. 
you know, I am a procrastinator, you know, I am, you know, I'm, I am not that good at my finances, right? These are belief systems, but they really are belief systems. Like if you were to even do this like experiment where you think about your higher self <laughs> and, and you just imagine. Yes, I, I hear you. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I learned that too, that the I am, whatever you put after I am is true. That's your mind believes it's true. So I, I, I so resonate with everything you're saying. And I think your explanation there was so beautifully and eloquently put on how to really understand our beliefs and and instead of the action and the doing, it's who do I want to be? And that's something I think you and I both live by is like, who, who do I want to show up in the world? And then the, the doing happens. But I, I, I do want to go back to yeah. this because so when it comes to names, I, I'm, I will say I am <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I give myself compassion here, but I am not as good at remembering names. I feel like like most people so for me, I'm going to yeah. your event here soon and I'm going to be meeting yeah. a lot of people yeah, like set me up for success here. What do I do yeah. when I, when I go and I'm like, hi, I'm Nikki right, Sharp. Right, Who right. are you? Yeah. Okay. So first I think valuing our, our behaviors are shaped by our beliefs and values and prioritizing remembering names because sometimes we're on autopilot and we just, from our past, we just think I'm not going to remember it. So why even try? Right. But just remembering so I always tell people mom. So let's go to the basics. M-O-M. The M to remember names. Well, the example that I use is I imagine 95% of your listeners have trouble with names. And is it important to remember people's names? So we could we all could say yes, right? Because okay. how are you going to show someone you care for their business, their health, their finances, their future, whatever you have to offer if you don't care enough just to remember their name? Right. People don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. So I'm just sensitizing. And I feel like some people after listening just to that without a technique yet, which I'll give you, will remember names because they're more intentional about it. Right. Like I listen to Nikki's podcast and I'm going to remember names because we've had this conversation, you and I. Um, but besides that, let's say there was a suitcase at the party. And when you walked in and it's like a million dollars cash uh, for you or your favorite charity, uh, you know, we're in Florida, so it's tax free. If you just remember the name of the next stranger you meet, who's going to remember that person's name? Everybody. Right. And so just as a coach, as opposed to like a lecturer, a coach has to call you on your stuff. Right. And so it's not true that you can't remember names. What's true is you aren't really motivated to remember the name. And so the first M in mom is motivation. So having an external like reward of a million dollars is incentive to remember a name, but you could create that internal motivation inside. You could rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10 saying, how much do I want to remember this person's name? And then you could quantify it. You could say, well, just maybe it's, it's a four. Then you could play like, well, what do I need to think about or perceive in order for it to be like a six or seven, right? And you could, you could make it a little bit more. It doesn't have to be a 10, right? But just that act alone because 80% of success is psychology, right? The methods are, are very clear and I'll give you a few of my favorite methods, but I would just say, ask yourself, why do you want to remember the person's name in a heartbeat? Maybe it's to show the person respect at the party. Maybe it's to make a new friend. Maybe it's to get a referral. Maybe it's to make a sale, a future client, uh, practice these things I learned on the podcast because reasons reap results, 
right? If you, again, have something in your head and you're not acting with your hands, remembering names, then check in with the emotions because we're emotional beings. The second thing in mom, the O is observation. And I, and I really, again, it's common sense, but the reason I'm saying this is it's not common practice. Most people aren't really forgetting a name. They're not just not hearing the name to begin with because the art of memory is the art of attention. The story you and I have talked about before is um, just as an illustration, I, I use sometimes use famous people because if I just talk about, you know, Mary Smith, it doesn't put an image in your mind. But years ago, I was at a, a fundraiser and it was 2000 people. I was the first one to sit at my assigned table. And then after I sit down, uh, Forrest Whitaker, the actor, sits right next to me. And then Richard Branson sits next to him. And then Ashton Kutcher and Ashton's twin brother, which I didn't know he had a twin brother, sits there. And then President Clinton sits right next to me. And he called me by name. Wow, that's a hell of a table. Yeah, I, I, I posted on Instagram. It was like, like, who photoshopped that Asian dude at that table? <laughs> but it was like one of those things where he remembered my name. And I was like, okay, well, somebody told him. Because I met him a few years earlier and we had a brief encounter. But I was like, well, obviously he, he knew he was sitting at his table. But then I swear, Nikki, he picks up the conversation we had three years earlier. And nobody was privy to that. And, and I was like, I'm the memory guy. I need to know how you're doing this. Cause I'm, I'm obsessed. Cause you know, how Tony says success leaves clues. I believe genius leaves clues that there's always a method behind what looks like magic. Someone can make a lot of money. They could grow a big social following like you. They could build this, you know, awesome brand or write books. Like, like there's, it looks like magic to people who have never done it, but there's always a method. Right. And we'll talk about my method for memory names. But when I was asking him this, he was like, well, Jim, my grandfather, grandfather used to tell stories in Arkansas in the living room to the kids. And afterwards, though, he would do something different. He would quiz us to see if we were paying attention, if we're really being sharp. And what I would say is, wow, you know, what you what you practice in private, you're rewarded for in public. That's a famous Jim Rohn quote. And I would say that there's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There's a trained memory and an untrained memory. But when he's explained this to me, I was like, have you ever been with somebody and you feel like, you're the only one like in the room because they're so present with you. They're not like looking over your shoulder like they do in Los Angeles and other places. Right. Um, or they're not talking to themselves, thinking about how they're going to respond. They're really there because there were a lot more important people in that room and certainly at that table than me. But I felt like when he was communicating with me, politics aside, you know, Clinton is a strong communicator, he's great, high levels of charisma, great connector, but he's got this powerful presence. And I think his incredible memory and his powerful presence with people comes, comes from being powerfully present with people. And who could do that? We, we could all do that. And it's just an exercise in, in attention. So the O in mom is observation. And I feel like if you just did those two things, you're 80% there to remember your name. If you really care, you're motivated to remember a name. Because here's the thing, Nikki, and everyone listening, we don't remember all names, but we don't forget all names either. And there's some names that we remember even when we're not. And I promise you some of those names is because we're motivated. We're attracted to them or they can be good for our business or we're just having interest in them. So we're paying attention. So I would say, even if you were to write a word, listen down and scramble the letters, it spells another word perfectly. It spells the word silent. And a lot of people, when they're meeting somebody first time, they're not silent and they're not present. And so I would start with that. And the last time are the methods. And I'll give you, give you one really quick one right now. 
remember next time when you, when we're at this uh, get together that you're, you and I are going to be at in a little bit, be suave. So as you're checking in the mirror, your makeup, you're, 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 you know, you're getting ready for this and just look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be suave. It's a simple acronym. I use a lot of acronyms for shortcuts. The B is believe, right? So eliminate the negative self-talk because your brain is this incredible supercomputer and your self-talk is a program that will run. So if you tell yourself, I'm not going to remember names, you won't remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your computer not to, right? So just, just edit that. Or even saying like affirmations with certainty can make a difference. Like I'm, I'm going to remember five people's names today, right? And, and, and not just saying the words, but feeling that certainty as, as if you putting on a cap of somebody who can remember names and you're going to you're going to act like that person, right? The E in be suave is exercise. And this is important because memory is a skill like any other skill, like riding a bike or driving a car, learning how to type. And I would say it's not physical exercise, but I mean practice because practice makes progress, right? Practice makes progress. And so I'm really good at remembering names. If people see me live at events, I'll pass around a microphone and 50 or 100 people will introduce themselves and I memorize all their names. But it wasn't always like that, right? I had a horrible memory. I had learning difficulties, traumatic brain injury. So I would say I'm really good, but I didn't get much better after 30 to 60 days of practice. Because again, once you know how to tie your shoes or type, you know how to do it. So uh, the, the bad news is it takes effort. The good news, it doesn't take as much as you think. And this is one of the things that you want to get really good at early on because you get the benefit for the rest of your life. Just like reading two or three times faster, you should kind of sharpen the saw in the beginning and then everything after that gets a lot easier in your life. So these are, these are very important skills. So practice. And where can you practice? Everywhere. Because if you have a relationship with a human being, you could practice. Or you're watching television or watching you know, social media, you could practice remembering their names as you're going through. And it doesn't take a lot of practice as much as people think. And then the, the tactic part, suave, really rapid fire. When you meet somebody, the S, say the name, repeat the name right away, because that means you get to hear it twice. And it also means, especially like at this, at this gathering you and I are going to, there's a lot of ambient noise and there's music. So you, you saying the name means you heard it correctly. You don't want to have a conversation with somebody and call them by the wrong name at the end, right? You don't want to have a... Uh, a conversation with Ted and say goodbye, Ed. So say, say the name, the you, you use the name just three or four times. You don't abuse it. Nikki, thank you so much for having me on your show. Nikki, what do you want to talk about? Nikki, did you really, that'd be an abuse, but three or four times just reinforces it. The A, and this is the A is a really good tactic for people with unusual names. So if you meet someone named Afsal or Rüdiger, you know, and Kita names you haven't heard before, you the A is ask. Everyone's favorite subject. It's not necessarily travel or money. It's, it's always themselves, right? And they say a name is the sweetest sound to a person's ears. Because Nikki, think about the emotion. It's probably one of the first words you learn how to write. And most people are reinforced saying, great job, or one of the first words you learn how to be able to say. And so it takes, it captures that part of your brain called the reticular activating system, which we could talk about a little bit later, but it helps you to focus. When somebody calls your name, let's say you're running a marathon, you hear somebody at mile 18 say, Nikki, even if you know you don't know the person, you're going to look because it's kind of programmed. That's how powerful a name is. So A, ask, what can you ask about this unusual name? How do you spell it? Where's it from? Who are you named after? What does it mean? Right. And then it, it creates this bond with that person that um, that's really hard to be able to replace. So ask about a person's name. And then finally, the V and the E, the V is visualized. And this is how I actually memorize 50 people's names in an audience. 
I have a mental picture for, for every name. And, and it's kind of like we think in pictures, right? You're better with faces than you are with names. You go to someone and say, I remember your face, but I forgot your name. You never go to someone. I've never met somebody who says the opposite. No one goes to someone and say, I remember your name, but I forgot your face. It wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? And so if you tend to remember what you see, then see what you want to remember because your visual cortex takes up the most real estate in your brain. There's a, a proverb that says, what I hear, I forget. What I see, I remember. What I do, I understand. What I hear, I forget. Heard the name, forgot it. When I see, I remember. I saw your face. I'll always remember your face. And what I do, going back to exercise, you understand. So if a person's name is Mary, this is literally what I do at this party. If I meet someone named Mary, I imagine for a split second, they're carrying two lambs underneath their arms. <laughs> That's so <right>? good. <laughs> yeah. And if it makes you laugh, then you get the visual auditory and yeah, kinesthetic. Yeah. You hear it, you feel it, and you could see it. And then when you say goodbye to Mary at the end of the day, what was she doing? Carrying the lambs. you know. And then what's her name? Mary. Right. If a person's name is Carol, they're busting into Christmas carols. Right. If a person's name is Susan, maybe a, a lazy Susan. Person's name is Mike, they're jumping on the table singing karaoke on a microphone. And it sounds childish, but you know, children are the fastest learners, right? And so it's being playful. Like I had my name made fun of all the, all the time growing up. You know, they they call me Jim Slow or Nestle Quick or you know, like things as what kids do. But it helps them to retain the information. So person's name is John. You could. Well, you picture whatever you picture for John, right? And then finally, the E. And by the way, if you ever forgot a name, most people use a technique like the pictures. They go, does it start with an E? Does, does it start with an A? Does it start with a B? Does it start with, they go through the alphabet, right? And sometimes it works, but when they get to W, they get really scared because there's not a lot of letters after that. But sometimes it's like D, oh, it's David. But imagine if you had a slingshot instead for David and Goliath, and you just can't, you can't forget that. You're taking something that's very ordinary, make it extraordinary. And it overcomes what I call the six second syndrome. When somebody tells you your name, you have six seconds to do something with that name. Otherwise it's gone forever. Right. And then finally the E is end. I always end a conversation saying goodbye using their name. Now think about how powerful that is. If you could go to an event and meet 20 strangers and leave saying goodbye to every single one of them by name, who do they all remember? They're you, all going to remember yeah. you, right? And that's a, that's a standout skill, no matter your profession. Wow. I mean, I, I'm, I have to say, Jim, I am incredibly excited about this event that we're going to and, and using this, the mom and be suave. And I, I, you know, I've heard you speak for so many years as we've been friends, but it, there is something different. And I love what you mentioned earlier as well about presence. And that's something that, I actually get told quite often, just kind of off topic, but I get told quite often at the end of conversations and interviews for this podcast that I was one of the best interviewers they've ever had. And I truly attribute that to presence where I'm here fully, completely. And so as I was listening it's like when you were talking about your name being called, like I actually, I, I looked off camera because that's how present I was. So I, I love everything you just shared. And, and, I think and, I'll, and I'll say, Nikki, also, when we met, we were at a book party at my home yeah. and there were ind individuals there like Larry King and, and other individuals. And I, I interviewed Larry, um, the late Larry King. And I was like, how do you, because he had this same kind of quality where people and in his belief system talk about that is he believes that everybody he can learn from everybody that's his, that's his primary belief and so when he's asking questions you could tell he truly wants to know the answer and that kept him present 
right? So you, you share, you share the similar quality as, as he does and it, it expresses itself differently. But I think everybody wants that, right? Even when relationships, maybe you can't spend all the time in the world with that person, but the time that you're there, you're really there. You know, it really makes a difference. They, they say that present is also another word for gift. And that's the gift you're giving somebody is your, your attention. Cause that's the one thing you can't, you can't get back. A hundred percent. So I love everything you just shared. And I wanted to actually, so I read your book, which is coming out November 14th. So excited for it. And I I do have to say, and I texted you, I I was like, I'm literally obsessed with this, but I couldn't, I I finished the book in one day, Jim, just by the way, like I was like, just, I was speed reading as well, which I've learned from you. But in the beginning of your book, Limitless Expanded, you ask readers to picture you as their learning genie and granting one wish related to learning a subject or a skill. So my question for you is, what is the most important skill someone can and should learn? Yeah. So if there was a genie that could grant you any one wish, but only one wish, everybody would ask for a thousand wishes or a million wishes, right? That's kind of the hack, limitless wishes. If I was your learning genie and I could grant you any one learning wish so that when we're done, you're an expert or a master at that one subject or that one skill. You could think of, oh, I want to know investments or I want to be great at coding or great at health. I believe the answer for having limitless wishes when it comes to learning is learning how to learn. So it's a subject matter that we talk about in Limitless Expanded. It's called meta learning. So meta, like a metaphor or metacognition, metacognition is thinking about your own thinking. Meta learning is learning how to learn. And unfortunately, it's like a subject that's not taught in school. They teach you what to learn, math, history, science, but there are no classes on how to learn those subjects, right? And so I feel like if we could learn how to learn, let's get real granular, that you can learn how to focus and concentrate and study and read faster and retain what you read, understand what you read, right? Remember that information. Then what subject can you apply that to? Everything. Right. And you can apply it towards medicine or, or modeling or martial arts or music or money or everything gets easier in your life. And I feel like it's the ultimate advantage. It's really true that a person's ability to learn rapidly and translate that learning into action, because it always has to have an action, is the ultimate competitive advantage. You know, especially in a world of information where nobody all of your listeners, none of them, it's not like it was hundreds of years ago where you were compensated for your brute strength, like working out in the fields and assembly line. Today, it's your brain strength. It's not your muscle power. Today, it's your mind power. And the faster you can learn, the faster you can earn. When you can easily remember, like you have so much experience and you put it into a book, which you have, and somebody can sit down in a few days and read your books. What, like, you don't have to spend all the money and all the heartache and all the time, everything that you spent, like, and all the troubles that you went through and in health and everything. Um, and I just think, like, the, you know, two ways of learning something, either from your own experience or just how they have OPM, other people's money, other people's experience. You know, so I think that, you know, reading is a wonderful way to, to be able to, to shortcut that. Yeah, we're not, when's the last time we took a class called reading? We were like six or seven years old. And like, we're still reading like a six or seven year old and the difficulty, the deluge, the demand is so much more, but our learning hasn't improved much beyond that. So yeah, to answer your question, a learning genie, I would ask for learning how to learn. And that's what they call lead domino. 
you think about it, it's the first domino that makes everything after it fall and eat into place. And that's what learning how to learn does. So the book only you know, really focuses on two areas, how to learn, how to learn, focus, think faster, read faster, improve your memory, but then also taking care of the hardware that's the software, the hardware, which is your brain, things you know a lot about, things you've talked about on your podcast also as well with Dr. Amen and others and how to have your best brain possible, how to optimize your sleep, what are the best brain foods, what are the best nutrition for your brain, how to manage stress and, and so much more. So going into that, it, it's interesting, you know, as I do these interviews, there's so many I feel like it, conversations for me are like a tree where we start with, you know, the tree, the trunk of the tree, and then we go off and we create this tree branch and then tree branches from there. And it's always fascinating for me, and especially the way that my mind works. And I, I love what you were just saying, though, about the gift that you would want people to have is like literally to learn how to learn. And it, I so agree because as I've like I've created a business just by learning how to create websites by learning yeah. how to do like messing up so many times. It's crazy being told so many times, like failing quote unquote. And then I learn and I do something different and, and it's given me resiliency, but also like passion and purpose. And yeah. I love what you say though, about that, that it's like, we were reading, you know, at, at a sixth grade level or a six year old. And, and it's, it, we have to remember like, I, yeah, like reading a book, that is decades of knowledge that someone's been research and time. And yeah. I've, how many times do you meet someone? I mean, myself included, where some, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't really read much. And I, and I just I like want to shake the people and be like, oh, my God. Anyway, so that was a tree branch. That was a random tree branch we just did. But I, I want to get back to my original question, which was what it what are the best and worst things for your brain? So you mentioned Dr. Amen, who, yes, yeah. was on the show. And I was kind of surprised to learn some of his answers about the worst things. So I'm curious for you, what are yeah. the best and worst things for our brain? So I'll go through the best and worst. And um, I narrow it down to 10 things. You know, the, the Limitless Expanded is endorsed by the top Alzheimer's researcher out of Harvard University, Dr. Rudy Tanzi by the uh, founding director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Brain Health. And we know when I speak at these places, the research shows that about one third of your brain's health and performance is predetermined by genetics and biology, but two thirds is in your control. Now, some people look at research saying with epigenetics, you have 100% influence on, on, but it's a lot regardless, right? So there are 10 things. I'm going to go through them really rapidly. I'm going to ask people to, if they can to write them down and to also to make it relevant for you, rate yourself zero to 10. And I'll tell you what's on zero and what's on 10. All right. And do it for the past seven days. Okay. So the first one is a good brain diet. And what you eat matters, especially for your gray matter. Whole area of science we talk about in the book that you saw called neuronutrition, that your brain is only 2% of your body mass, but it requires 20% of nutrients. And it actually requires some nutrients that aren't that your body, the rest of your body don't, don't, doesn't need as much. So some of my favorite brain foods, and I would stipulate, I'm not a nutritionist or a medical doctor. Everybody's a little bio-individual, right? Depending on your genetics, your microbiome, food, you could take a food sensitivity, a nutrient uh, a profile test. But in, in, in essence, like avocados is a wonderful brain food. The monounsaturated fat is good for your brain. I always talk about blueberries or any berries, really. They're very neuroprotective. I like to call them brain berries. 
uh, broccoli, high in vitamin K. Uh, also, broccoli is high in sulforaphane, uh, which is amazing antioxidant for, for your brain. Olive oil, we hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet, good for your brain. If your diet allows eggs, the, the choline in eggs uh, is a precursor for acetylcholine, which is critical for cognitive health and performance. I would also say green leafy vegetables, a good salad with like, I don't know, spinach and kale, uh, wild salmon and sardines. We always hear about omega-3s and your DHAs. Your brain is mostly fat, so that's absolutely critical. And if you're not getting from there, you're getting from flax seeds or some kind of alternative. Uh, turmeric is, is great for the brain. There's something called curcumin, which is the active ingredient, which helps lower systemic inflammation. Walnuts and almonds, high in vitamin E. The walnuts happen to also look like the brain. And everyone's favorite, dark chocolate, not milk chocolate. or So those are some of my favorite brain foods. On the other side, you say you want what's, what's good and what's bad, highly refined foods, foods that you don't, you can't pronounce, like with all the ingredients that's in a box or some kind of packaging, uh, processed foods, high sugar foods. I'm very conscious of like those glucose spikes and insulin resistance. And by the way, exercise is wonderful for, for mediating that, um, that insulin sensitivity, but not high sugar foods also as well. So on, on a scale of zero to 10, the past seven days, 10 being the best, how good has your diet been? Because everybody wants to know what the magic pill is. There's no pill, but there is a process, right? These 10 things. Number two, and I'll go through this really fast, killing ants. And this is a term I got from Dr. Amen, automatic negative thoughts. And so we talked about this when we talked about beliefs and mindset. But if you believe you can or believe you can, either way, you're right. So on a scale of zero to 10, how encouraging? Not where it's so positive because Dr. Amy, other people will also cite studies that sometimes if you're too optimistic, you're not going to do things. If you just say, oh, it's just going to work itself out. I don't have to get this checked. Then that's probably not a good idea either. So it's kind of like what Tony talks about, realistic thinking and the no weeds, no weeds. I mean, it just comes right back to you, right? But it's also having a vision for where you want to go and auditing yourself. So I don't have a great memory yet, right? Even when it says like, nobody wants to have to do anything. But when we find ourselves saying, oh, I got to exercise, I got to meditate. I heard this podcast and I got to do this morning routine. But maybe if you change God to get, you know, I get to move my body today. I get 15 minutes of quiet for myself. And it just, it just changes things. So zero to 10 automatic negative thoughts. All right. Number three is exercise. And this is something you know a lot about as your body moves, your brain grooves. And I'm not just talking about doing Pilates or, or soul cycle three times a week. You just kind of move throughout the day. The primary reason we have brains is to control our movement. Even when you see babies learning how to crawl, they're doing it because it helps their brain develop. Right. And we do all kinds of physical exercise, like cross crawls, where you'll take your hand or your elbow and touch your opposite knee and then go back and forth. Anything that crosses the midline helps encourage left and right brain connections and helps to integrate. And which is helpful because imagine left brain is logic, right brain is imagination. So like even with the remembering names, you're tying in the visual, like the face with the left brain, which is the, the name. Right. And so that's that's the label. So the other reason why you exercise, as I mentioned, it reduces systemic inflammation in your body, especially uh, resistance training. When you exercise, you create dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, which are neurotransmitters for good cognitive health. When you exercise also, you create something called brain derived neurotropic factors, BDNF. What is it? It's like fertilizer for neuroplasticity for making these new connections. So on a scale of zero to 10, how much are you moving? Because they say sitting is a new smoking. When you sit, the, the 
the blood from your brain is like pulling to your legs. But when you move, even when you listen to your podcast, so if people are listening to this right now and they're doing something rhythmic, like they're on an elliptical or going for a nice walk with the dogs, studies show that you'll actually understand more of what you're listening to and you'll retain more of what you're listening to as you're moving. So very, very important. So what I recommend everybody do is take a, a brain break. We talk about something in the new book called the Pomodoro Technique. Pomodoro is, um, we're talking about tomato, right? In terms of Italian. And I have a tomato timer there, a cooking timer. And I just set it for, they say after 25 to 30, maybe 60 minutes tops. After that, there's a sharp decline of your mental energy and your focus. So the idea here, you take a brain break because your brain's not meant to go hundred miles an hour all day. So it's kind of like your little pit stop to recover. And what do you do? Three things. You breathe first and foremost. A lot of people are, are they don't have the productivity, the performance because when they're on their screens or on their phone, it's interesting. Also, if you were to take a silhouette of most people on their phones, I did this uh, a, a couple months ago. I was just taking pictures of just random people when they're on their phone. Their posture is like slumped down, mm -hmm. like a question mark. And it looks like if you didn't see the phone, it looks like they're depressed. Like literally that, that physiology is affecting their psychology. But also what it's doing, it's collapsing the lower one third of your lungs and that absorbs two thirds of the oxygen. So take a brain break, do some deep breathing, Wim Hof breathing, alpha breathing, whatever, fire breathing hydrate. You notice I'm drinking a bunch because I had on our podcast, uh, Dr. Lisa Moscone, who you have to have, you have to meet. She's a, a professor and a researcher. She's a neuroscientist and a nutritionist. And she says that even a 2% drop in hydration, like you're dehydrated, will affect your cognitive performance and your cognitive health. And just staying hydrated will boost your reaction time, and your thinking speed upwards of 30%. That's amazing lift. Crazy. Wow. Just staying hydrated. And then finally, besides breathing and, and hydrating, move your body, right? Because you want to get that movement in. I like to get my steps in, you know, so I use my martial arts instructor calls it stealing reps. Like even when I'm waiting for something like, like maybe the coffee or the tea to brew, then I'm just doing certain like moves and I'm stealing those reps. I'm trying to get those in. Same thing with your steps and your movement. Um, number four, brain nutrients. And this is something brand new in the book. In my 32 career, I never talked about supplements. You know, I talked about general ones like omega-3s, you know, getting your vitamin Ds if you're not getting it from, from sunlight and how important it is for your brain. But for the first time, I share like my protocols in the book, uh, specifically around nootropics. Nootropics are substances that can enhance your cognitive function, improve your mood, improve your memory, your creativity, even a little bit of your motivation with that extra energy. Because, and I would rather people get it from foods because I'm a foodie, right? We've shared a lot of meals and it's like, if you can't get the omega-3s from your fish, if you're not eating that, then maybe you have to supplement. If you're not getting, you know, vitamin D from the sun, maybe you need to supplement. Um, if you're not getting the choline that's in eggs, maybe you have to supplement with that. And, I'm you know, really quick. I actually want to say yeah. what was interesting. I just, I went to Next Health and I did um, full head, I mean, like literally the entire oh, wow. blood work panel. And I mean, given I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm under quite a bit of stress in my personal life. But what's interesting is that my blood work came back almost immaculate, which even I was kind of wow. surprised about, but you know, what was low was vitamin D and choline. Yeah. 
And and that's good because we shouldn't just take supplements for the sake of because, you know, everything's on Instagram. and You see all these ads and everything. I, I really think, you know, you don't want to overdo it with some things. And so I think you did the wise thing. You go to a functional medicine doctor or you go to a clinic and you get a nutrient profile done and see what you're lacking. Yeah. You know, for me, some of my favorite go to's creatine. Like a lot of people relate it to working out and certainly it helps uh, in that area, but it is absolutely amazing uh, for your brain because it plays a crucial role in energy metabolism. And so creatine is one of my favorite kind of go-to. Uh, lion's mane mushroom is a nootropic. It has extremely unique uh, neuro neuroprotective effects. Uh, you know, we hear about it, but what it does is stimulates the synthesis of nerve growth factor, you know, for your brain. Uh, some people go to caffeine. I would just say I'm very sensitive to caffeine, so I just have to be a little careful, especially with my, my sleep, having it too late in the day. But if you combine it with L-theanine, which is a supplement, uh, it's often found in, in green tea, it helps you to it doesn't, you don't have the jittery effects if, if caffeine really affects you in that way. Um, you hear about ginkgo biloba, which, uh, is a, which is a Chinese medicine. It's an herb that helps increase, uh, blood flow in, the, in those areas. Cause the name of the game when it comes to your brain health is getting blood flow. That's why when I had a traumatic brain injury, there wasn't blood going in that part of my brain. So I had a protocol of hyperbaric chamber and other things to increase, increase my blood flow there. But nutrient, Job scale zero to 10, how, do you, how well do you think you have your nutrition dialed in? Number five, positive peer group. This is huge, right? Especially for mental health, because, you know, isolation or, or loneliness, it, it could really exasperate a lot of mental health challenges. And nobody does it alone, right? It takes a village, even to build a personal brand like, like you and I focus on. Um, I don't think anyone really is self-made, you know, but because I think it, it, it takes, it really takes a village. But the science says that who you spend time with is who you become. And we hear that as a cliche. The science behind it though is we have in our brain things called mirror neurons and it's exactly what you think it is. They are brain cells that imitate the people around you. And that's why they say we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We start mirroring their words, actions, thoughts, character, and habit. Watch. And then we start marrying the W, which is words, A is actions, T are thoughts, C is character, and H, habits. And um, that's why, you know, if you spend time with nine broke people, you're more likely to be number 10 because they're constantly imitating. It allows you to have empathy. When you watch a television show or a sporting event, you can kind of feel what the characters are going through. Those are your mirror neurons stimulating, right? And so on a scale of zero to 10, how encouraging are the people that around you? Now, I'll stipulate a positive peer group. Your family and friends might not be your peer group, right? Because they could be energy vampires and steal your dreams. And they could be, you could love them, certainly. But we could choose, like, who we mastermind with. We could choose who has emotional uh, effect and their opinions matter to us also as well. The rule of thumb for me has always been, because I did kind of a weird track in my career as opposed to like my family members and people around me. Uh, my, my rule is don't take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice from. Don't Absolutely. take criticism for people you won't take advice from. So a positive peer group, because on the other side, what would be really bad for your brain are people that are just, because since we model the habits, it's not just uh, our neurological networks, our biological networks, it's our social networks. Whether you smoke or exercise has less to do with your biology and more to do with do your friends smoke or exercise, right? Because you're more likely to do it also as well. Number six, clean environment. This is a big one. 
our environment certainly affects us, right? I mean, have you ever noticed like you make your bed, you clean your desk, you put the right files in the right place on your laptop or whatever, you have clarity of thought. Part of it is because you're not using that extra memory and energy, mental vitality to, to remember where everything is, first of all, because an organized environment leads to an organized mind. But I don't just mean a clean environment like organization. I mean, the quality of the air, the quality of lighting. A lot of times in schools and in offices, they have really kind of not so good lighting, like fluorescent bulbs and everything else that has been shown in rats to like make them go crazy, right? But they're in a lot of buildings because they're cheap. And so air quality, even the toxins, you know, could uh, off gas, off the of furniture. You buy a new couch, a new carpet, the preservatives in there, and the, 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 the flame retardants, things that they use, it could have a be very uh, toxic to your brain. So on a scale of zero to ten, the past week, how clean has your environment been? And then finally, seven, eight, nine, ten, seven is sleep. This is something that I happen to know a lot about. I suffered from severe, severe sleep apnea for for most of my adult life. Um, was was misdiagnosed, where I was only sleeping two two hours a night for years, and I ended up being hospitalized a number of times from lack of sleep. And it was a breathing disorder. It had nothing to do with a ruminating mind and worrying. You know all these thoughts. I would fall asleep fine, but I would wake up because I couldn't breathe. And I would use a CPAP, a breathing device and a dental device. But that on top of the learning was really my big kind of kryptonite. But that's why I learned so much. And it forced me, I always ask myself, talk about beliefs. Well, where's the gift in this? What was the gift to me not be able to learn out of you know, my head injury? And I found like, wow, my struggles became strengths. With lack of sleep, when you don't have the vitality or the energy to do your mission, then I had to really double down at everything I teach. So I could roll out of bed at three o'clock in the morning and teach this because I'm just sharing what I've documented works for me and clients, right? So there's no prep because the life you live are the lessons you teach. But sleep for the brain is critical. Even lack of sleep leads to potential brain aging challenges. And I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's. And so I'm very passionate about that. We donate all the proceeds to the book to for kids, education, and women's Alzheimer. Women are twice as likely to experience Alzheimer's than men. So it's, it's something why, that- wh Why is that? So that's what they're researching. And that's why we're funding different things because in, in this area, in memory of my grandmother, because part of it, they some stipulate uh, might think that it's because of hormonal changes in, in, in the brain. And we've done a number of podcasts on our show about this also as well. It's a challenge though, because most of the research is done on male brains and treatments on male brains. Yeah just like in, in other areas. And so putting more attention for women because, you know, they're twice as likely to experience than, than their male counterparts. You know, it's, it's really challenging, but sleep contributes to brain aging. So how do you optimize your sleep? I'll give you some of my favorites and I would love to know yours. Um, how are you sleeping just of, of recent? I know you travel a lot, so I don't yeah, the jet you know. Yeah, you know, gosh, I, that could be, I could tree branch and expand very much <laughs> on that. Overall, I would say sleeping fairly well, given circumstances in my life, which is interesting. Um, and I would say with the travel, it has made it a little bit harder with with various jet lag. But, I, you know, I have all the hacks and everything yeah. I, I've noticed, though, it, truly like and it sounds so cliche, but like feeling my feelings and dealing with my emotions as they come up yeah. is the thing that keeps my nerve like every single day, the Honestly, the only thing I'm worried about every day is, 
is my nervous system calm today? And if it's not calm, how do I, how do I calm it down more? And because of that, I think my sleep has actually been pretty good. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a good place to be. Cause I, I think peace of mind is high currency today, yeah, yeah. you know, more, more than anything. When you say yes to somebody or something, you're not saying no to yourself and compromising your own peace, especially in our nervous system. And so a lot of what I do is nervous system regulation. I've learned to be able to calm myself, especially because it can be frustrating even going to sleep. I stop breathing 250 times a night. And wow. a time an episode counts as 10 seconds. Wow. So, you know, when I went to UCLA to get treatment, they're like, no wonder you're, it's like somebody coming in 200 times and putting a pillow over your face. So, you know, you're suffocating. Um, some of my favorite ways of getting better sleep, number one, direct sunlight first thing in the morning. That's a non-negotiable. Even if it's cloudy or foggy outside, I'll do it. Um, even just 10 minutes because your eyes are the only part of your brain that's outside your skull. And it helps you to reset your circadian rhythm to have a better night's sleep that night. Um, not through a window sunlight because that will filter out some of the spectrum of the light. Number two, I mentioned caffeine. I don't do caffeine past noon or 2 p.m. because it can stay in your system 8 to 10 hours. And I'm very sensitive to that. Number three, we all have an alarm clock to wake up. Most people do. But I would say have an alarm to go to sleep because your brain loves a schedule, even on the weekends. And nobody does this perfectly, obviously. But an ideal situation would be going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, because they love the, the, the rhythm. Number uh, four, I would say, as a hunter-gatherer, we would know it would be time to sleep because the environment would tell you so. There would be a drop in two factors, temperature and light. But in modern day conveniences with, you know, track lighting and everything, it doesn't have to get darker. It doesn't have to get colder with your thermostat. But I would say, you know, for temperature, sleeping in a, in a room that's cooler, where it's not so cold, you're like shaking, that's going to keep you up. But taking a warm bath will do it or a sauna, especially a warm bath with magnesium or Epsom salt, because you'll absorb some of the magnesium transdermally and it'll help you to be able to relax. When you get out of that sauna or hot shower or that bath, then your core body temperature drops. And that's a signal to your nervous system to create melatonin, which is a trigger to be able to fall asleep. And then the last thing is, is light, right? So you want it as dark as possible. Some people are more sensitive than others, but the real culprit and villain in this situation are screens, right? I, I don't want to be on my phone the last hour of the night. It's not always easy for sure. But for me, habit design, and there's a big chapter in the book on how to create habits, break habits. Habit design really starts in the environment. The principle behind this is for any habit you think about, you want to make what's good for you very easy in your environment. And you want to make something that's not so good for you difficult. So having my phone in my bathroom instead of by my nightstand allows me, it's just like when you're at a restaurant, the first things they say, they bring you bread. And if you, if that your diet, you can't eat gluten or something. If you sit there, you're going to have to say to yourself like 50 times, I'm not going to eat this bread. You have to make the decision 50 times. And that uses a lot of cognitive load and energy as opposed to when they bring it saying, no, thank you. Then you don't have to think about it again, right? You, you, you work your environment. So it's supporting you as opposed to disempowering you. So, um, I like, I like to keep it dark, by the way, like one of the things I do for my nervous system, a big part of energy. I don't talk about this a lot. But how I plan my day, and it's, you know, our days are always different, right? Every, everyone's day is a little bit different. But I, I focus on four C's. 
my brain, when you do an activity, like you check Slack or email or you're writing, it all uses a different part of your brain, a different cognitive web, if you imagine is lit up. And in switch tasks, it takes a lot of energy and it takes time to regain your focus and it uses a lot of blood glucose. So that's why people are often exhausted when they're trying to multitask, right? So what I do is I task chunk and I try to put certain tasks together based on the, the principle of what it's doing. So for example, right now I'm experimenting with in the morning time, I create. Right. I want to not input, look at my phone and put everything in. I actually want to pull information out because I find in the morning I'm great at writing. You know, later on, I don't get the quite the same. I don't know how you are writing your books, but for me in the morning, it was like most creative. Um, the other part of it is, not, you know, in terms of creating, that's pulling information out in the afternoon. I consume. So that's where I'm actually inputting. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm doing research. I'm reading books. I'm putting information in. And then the third part is at night I clear and what's clearing, I want to empty my mind where, so in the morning I'm being very creative and, and writing podcast, doing all these things, scripting books in the afternoon I'm, I'm consuming. And then at nighttime I want to clear. And how do I clear to go to bed? I'll talk to a friend about my day that'll help me to kind of resolve and kind of, you know, share, share that. So I don't have to think about it anymore. I'll plan my day for the next day. Right. So I don't have to think about all the things I have to do the next day. I'll put it, make sure it's in my calendar so I could even clear it. Even when I'm worried, if I'm worried about something in the afternoon, worrying is one thing, but if it's detracting you from an important meeting that you're having or something like you're on a date or whatever, then I could say, okay, I'm not going to worry about this now. I'll worry about it at 4.15 and I'll schedule my worrying time. Right. But clearing is like journaling will help you clear planning the next day will help you clear talking about your day will help you clear yoga nidra is a breathing technique to help you to be able to clear right and gratitude journal you know is clear so now i want to clear and if there's a 4c it's my communication that has usually sometime i batch them all together i do all my calls usually on a walk with the dogs and i'll just do my phone calls and i could just kind of do all that at the same time so those are my 4c's and i find that once i started doing that i have so much more mental energy and vitality because i'm not switching from consuming and then creating and then communicating and then back and forth i love that i'm i'm gonna literally t starting tomorrow i'm gonna do those like yeah. Mind everything you're saying is so mind blowing, Jim. So for the sake of time, because I do know that you yeah. you you have to go shortly. I think we we went to seven. We have eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, yeah. So what are those super quick? Yeah. Yeah. So number eight is brain protection. Protect your brain. I had three head injuries. Wear a helmet. Avoid extreme sports. Uh, EMFs could also be an issue. We've done multiple episodes on that. Number nine, a big one: new learnings. So everybody who's listening to your show has to give themselves a 10, right? Because they are learning. It'll actually help you live longer also. There's a study called Aging with Grace with nuns living 80, 90 above. They found out half of it, their longevity was their faith and their gratitude. The other half, they were lifelong learners. They're reading every day. They're having spirited debates and conversations and add years to their life. Amazing. And finally, number 10, stress management, regulate your nervous system, as you mentioned. So 10 being the best, how well are you coping with stress? You know, for me, it's meditation and nature that that's how I really, so for some people it's body work for some people it's, you know, it's hanging out with friends or what binge watching something, but stress, chronic stress will shrink the human brain. It puts you in fight or flight in your survival brain and it holds you hostage from your greater self, from your executive functioning, from your creativity, for your ability to solve problems. And so these are the 10 things. And, you know, you can do all this not get a good night's sleep and you're not going to perform well. You could do all this and eat a lot of processed food. You're not going to perform. You could do all this and stress out of your mind. You're not going to perform. Or you'd be lacking certain key nutrients or be spending time with energy vampires. So I think it's common sense, 
you know, my hopes is when people listen to this, they're like, oh, anything less than five, I need to put some energy and attention to because it'll make a big difference. I love that. And I love that you just broke that down to like, if it's less than a five, that's like focus on that area because you will have some areas that are higher. And I, I mean, I have to say there's so I'm going to have to have you back on because reading the book, there are so many questions that I wanted to go over. Like, oh oh my gosh, so many different questions. But with that being said, I, I just first off have to say thank you for coming on the show, but for writing the first book and then writing the expanded version. And as I, I mentioned, I read it and I have to say, like, I know you just gave an hour of incredible information and for everyone listening, like that was nothing in comparison to what you're going to learn from the book. And there's so many actionable items and tips and little kind of like quizzes and things. And it's very engaging. And the way that you've written it, I, I really, really resonated with just the whole thing. So I have to say thank you so much. I ask every single guest at the end of the show. So really quickly, what mm-hmm. are your three top tips for someone to live a sharper life? Okay. So there's a quote in the book that says life is a letter C between B and D. B is birth, D is death, life C, choice. So these are choices that we we make because we're the sum total of all the choices. So I would say my three three favorite tips, and these are, these are near and dear to my heart. The, the first one would be reading more. People have seen pictures of me with Elon and Oprah or whoever. People always want to know how we connected and bonded. It was books, right? You read to succeed. You know, you get your books, our books, and just, just people schedule your book time because <laughs> that's the problem. A lot of people, they'll, they, 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 don't, they don't schedule it, so they don't do it. The second thing I would say is put something into practice because knowledge is not power. It's potential to be power. It only is power when we utilize it. So what is one thing you could do for a better brain? And I would encourage everybody, maybe it's one of those 10 things. Maybe I'm going to eat more avocados and blueberries today. Or maybe I'm going to yeah, set an alarm before I go to sleep. Or maybe I'm going to add that, that choline supplement or you know practice meditation, whatever it happens to be, and post it. Tag Nikki, tag myself so we get to see it. I'll repost some of my favorites. Um, so do, do one thing. So read, do something else besides reading um, on top of it. And the last thing I would say, goodness, there's so many. I'm going to give people a gift. I created a, an assessment that I'm so proud of, and it is the big part of this new book. And I pulled on this model from uh, personality type theory, like Myers-Briggs, left brain, right brain dominance, a multiple intelligence theory, learning styles. And I realized that people fall in the four buckets in terms of brain types. And I made it super simple, code, C-O-D-E, where these are animal types, kind of like which uh, Game of Thrones character are you? You can take a quiz, it only takes four minutes, and uh, it informs everything that I do. I've, I've been using this with coaching clients one-on-one for years, and this is the first time we've made it public. And it really, it, it helps you to hire better, parent better, date better, read better, improve your memory once you know your brain animal type. And really quick, the, the C in code, C-O-D-E, is the cheetah. So these are people who act. These are people that, that, that really thrive in fast-paced environment, and they have strong intuition. They don't learn things for the sake of learning it. They implement. The O in code are your owls, and their, their dominant trait is logic. They love data, facts, and figures, right? And then think about it. A cheetah and an owl would date differently. They would communicate differently. They would invest differently. They would buy different, sell 
and even read differently. The D in code are your dolphins, and these are your creative visionaries. These are people that can see a vision, like a Disney, where maybe other people can't yet see it. They're great with pattern recognition uh, and problem solving. And finally, the E in code are your elephants, and these, they're defined by their empathy. They're incredibly compassionate, strong interpersonal skills. They're incredibly loyal, and they do everything in groups. So they're, they're the ones that hold the group together. They're great community builders. And it's interesting. I mean, people could take the quiz at mybrainanimal.com, mybrainanimal.com, and you get personalized learning, just like there's personalized medicine based on your genetics and personalized nutrition based on your microbiome. This is personalized learning and success achievement based on your brain animal. And once you know it, you can even see it in like, take friends, right? Ross would be an owl. Very, very studious professor, a scientist, reads a lot, right? Joey is a, a cheetah, goes by instinct and intuition and just does not thinking so much, but just does. And then uh, I would say Phoebe is the creative dolphin with her music and you know, her imagination. And Monica, the one that held everyone together is an elephant. She always wanted to host all the parties, had to be at her apartment. Um, and she was the one that really uh, was, the, was the glue. And so you'll see this in everyone. So I encourage people, the last thing out of the third thing is take the quiz. You can post that, tag us both also as well. We give you special art for each animal. Which, and, which do you um, think I am? Goodness. So, I mean, okay, so I will say, I will guess, we are all a part of, we're not any one of these, we're a composite, but we have a primary so I, usually. I, I asked because I did take the test and, and okay, for, okay, for okay. a time, we didn't, ha we yeah. didn't have as much time I, to go I over would, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine it would be a combination of a, a cheetah, dolphin. Cheetah, dolphin. Cheetah, so dolphin. yeah, when, so, I, yeah. when I took the test, I took the I, test. cheetah, and I, I was reading yeah. about it, I'm like, yep, absolutely. That makes total yeah. sense. What are you in it in, in the code? Yeah, for me, I'm very strong as an owl elephant. So I'm very logic. I do a lot of research, but also I think because I was struggling in school so much and ostracized and brutalized, I would, I would could detect suffering around me. And even though I am a high, high introvert, as you, you know, um, at, at events, um, but it's also, I have high empathy, which hopefully makes me a good coach because I know what it's like to struggle and I can meet people where they're at and I want people to feel seen and feel heard also. But again, the strategies we'll give you is how to improve all these areas and also how to hire for it. Like we had our whole team take the quiz and hundred percent of our customer service team, like 10 people, they're all elephants, right? They're all supportive and loyal and compassionate and, and, and community builders. Our CFO is an owl. Right, because the, yeah, they, the, the data and numbers are my CEO, my business partner. She's a dolphin, has this vision for our mission, and so it's interesting. Yeah, so mybrainanimal.com posts the art of the animal that you get as a response and tag Nikki. Yeah, tag, you know, tag, tag us. We'll repost it, and yeah. I just I'll put all of this in the show notes. So your new book, Limitless Expanded, comes out November fourteenth, guys. Like seriously, yeah. I read it. It's amazing. You are going to find so much value. Jim, yeah, I, get it. I adore you. Thank, Thank you. you. Much love to you. Limitlessbook.com is where you can get it. And when you do, you get a 13-day gift from me on speed reading and memory. So when the book arrives, you're just going to breeze right through it. But Nikki, I want to I thank you so much for having me on your show, uh, for being a source of light and kind of a dim time and, and always for our friendship. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, until next week, here's to a sharper life.